Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we've got Amberly, who is just, how can I describe her? Just a, a gift to this beautiful world. I can't wait for this conversation. A little bit of backstory. At age 38, her life was turned upside down. She was hit by an SUV. She underwent 34 surgeries to save her leg from being amputated, to be then diagnosed with an incurable disease dubbed the suicide disease. As a result, she lost her business, had zero self-confidence, and spiraled into a depression. Nothing worked for her except for one critical mindset shift and what we're here to discuss today. Amberly, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. What an incredible introduction. I just want to hang out with you all day. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I mean, as you know, the feelings are mutual. It's when you find your tribe, good things happen. So it's a pleasure to have you here. Before we jump into the backstory and then, of course, your work and your book and so forth, if we put all the titles aside and everything that you do, just who are you? Who are you as a person? Well, you know, it's interesting when you were, you know, you say you interview people at the top of their game and this and that. I'm like, ooh, I'm coming in feeling like a hot mess today. <laughs> you know, I think that sometimes, you know, on social media, uh, or you, you see the highlight reels and, and the titles and all of that. And I actually learned a while back ago when I had the, that horrific accident, I, I kind of, my self-worth and who I was, was based on my title and what I provided. And I didn't really get to know who I was. And, and so I had to kind of start over, learn to love myself again, kind of deep to figure out who I was because I felt so lost. And I would say that, um, I'm a connector. Um, I love people, um, especially to empower those to never give up, to turn pain to purpose. And I would say my favorite role, my favorite thing, the best thing that I've ever done in life is to be a mom to my Mm -hmm. sweet girls. One's 26 and one is 14. The oldest is going to school in Yale and we're about to take a trip to go see her, which I'm just blown away that (laughs) I have a kid in Yale that didn't even go to college. And so, um, and I'm just, you know, I, I'm a very grateful, grateful person for the relationships that I have, including you, that I get to be here and talk with you. Um, and so, and then I'm very faithful and I focus on building joy and I like to spread that to others. Well, that's a beautiful way to live. I mean, I'll take uh, I'll take those characteristics any day. And I could feel... And now I'm going to ask you about this, obviously, to provide some context or the lead up to uh, the, your your accident or your second accident. You should say when I was reading the book, I remember, you know, the, obviously the book opens with uh, the the first accident that you're in, and I knew a bit of the backstory. I'm like, well, wait a second, uh, what happened? It doesn't seem like what I know happened in this. And then as soon as you said, I got on my motorbike, I'm like, oh no, 
and then it all happens. So why don't you provide a bit of context to the backstory of essentially what has fueled a lot of your work today and, and I think a huge proponent to how, how and why you've been able to help so many people around the world process pain and you know transfer that into purpose and be resilient and so forth. Well, it's it's so interesting. So I was up for this speaking gig where they wanted someone to speak on resilience and someone who had a PhD that had studied what resilience is, they ended up getting the that job. And I was like, well, I've lived it. Like I've I haven't gone to school for it. I've actually experienced it. And so um just last year my youngest daughter and I were riding our scooters and we got hit by a car, like full on in the crosswalk, hit by a car. So it's the third time I've been hit out by a car. So my husband says, God just keeps spitting you back out. Like you are, you just won't die. That's what he said to me, but you know, yeah. um, I have definitely like us, like all of us had some hard times. Um, You know, I grew up where, I learned at a young age that I needed, and and sometimes I think when, when you're going through difficult times, you don't understand necessarily why you're going through it, but then you can look later in life and go, wow, I am so grateful that I went through that experience because it taught me grit. It taught, it, it strengthened my resilience. And so at a young age, you know, I had got I mean, my mom loved me. My dad loved me. They were good people, but they divorced when I was really young and my mom remarried and um, my stepfather ended up sexually abusing me. And when I had asked for, finally got the courage to ask for help, um, I didn't get help. I didn't, it was like no one came to rescue me. And it taught me that if I want something, I need to be willing to stand up for myself and I need to be willing to take care of myself. And I'll never forget the next time my stepdad came in to my bedroom and I fought him off hard and he never touched me again. It was empowering. And so in life, I thought, I want to get out of this little town. I want to make something of myself. I worked four jobs to save up enough money to move to California. And the, the accident that changed my life was I had worked so hard to build this career in the fitness industry. I had trainers that worked with me. I was doing infomercials sponsored by Nike. Like life was good. And I thought, dang it, I've worked so hard. And now I'm finally living the California dream. And like we all know from 2020, life can change in a minute. Things can, unexpected things can come. And for me, it came the day that I was on my way home from work on my motorcycle and an SUV shot out of a parking lot and T-boned me. And I immediately felt pain. I was thrown about 30 feet sliding across the asphalt. And I took one look at my leg that was just crumpled into pieces. And one of my first thoughts was, oh, this can't be good. I might have to train clients on crutches for a while. So I was already thinking like, okay, Mm -hmm. how am I going to keep working? What I'm going to do? I had no idea just how drastically this was going to change my life. I also had no idea that my femoral artery was severed, but I, there was a lot of blood and it was just like one of those horror movies. Yeah. But I had no idea that I was literally dying on the street 
Luckily, I had a a guardian angel that came over, made a tourniquet on my leg right away. He saved my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Paramedics were down the street at the coffee bean. They started running towards me before they even got the 911 call. Okay. Um, Rushed to the hospital and it was chaotic. And the last thing I remember before they put me in induced coma, um, I heard my husband crying, wailing, crying. And I'd never, he's a big, tough guy. I'd never seen him cry before. Yeah. And at that moment, I thought, oh my gosh, I might be dying. And I yelled across the room, honey, get over here. I need you to be strong for me. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I needed him, I needed to know that if I did not wake up, if this was the end, that he was going to be able to pull it together for our daughters. And, um, the nurse, her name's Shaniqua. I still keep in touch with her. She's this beautiful lady leaned over me. And it was the first time I felt kind of some peace in that chaos. Okay. She said, we're going to give you something to make you feel all better now. And that's the last thing I remember before I woke up. And they said, I'm so sorry. You've got a 1% chance of saving your leg. It's like a war wound. We're going to have to go ahead and amputate it. How did you feel? I mean, there's so much as I'm just thinking, I'm so fresh into the book that there's, uh, I mean, you obviously can't share all of the details, but there's so much in, in, the, in the book that I highly encourage people to pick it up because even like well, when you were on the street and you were like, you were thinking of, of, of your daughter and like, it's so strange that we, the last person we think about of our, is ourselves in these situations. You're thinking about training the other people, uh, your clients on crutches, or I have to get home. You know, my, my daughter's, something's coming up or dinner's coming up. Like, yeah, it's crazy, I, right? I, I was like, I need to feed my daughter. I'm mm-hmm. going to train my clients. And then I was even like, oh, my husband's going to be upset. His backpack might have, you know, I had pulled pork in oh, the back yeah. of backpack. Yeah. And one of my th- first thoughts is, oh my gosh. I, he's going to be so mad. He probably has pulled pork all in this brand new backpack. I didn't realize that backpack saved my life. It was shredded, like completely shredded. Um, if I wouldn't have had that, it would have been, my back probably would have shredded down to my spine, my, you know, and so, and then I was like worried about my mom cause I was cussing and I'm like, Oh, my Methodist mama wouldn't be too proud <laughs> of these cuss words. And so I was thinking about everyone else. And, and then even in the ambulance, it was, they probably thought I was crazy because I had this brand new hot pink Lululemon jacket on and they started trying to cut my jacket off. Now I had no idea that the whole back of my jacket my the shoulders were <laughs> yeah. completely rubbed uh, holes in the jacket and I was like oh no 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 don't cut my jacket this is brand new like this costs some money <laughs> yeah. and you know and I'm like I will take it off and so I'm like trying to wiggle this jacket <sighs> off and they would not make eye contact with me mm. and I was squeezing this paramedic's legs I was in so much pain and I kept thinking why isn't he looking at me? Does this mean I'm going to die? And he just doesn't want to let me know that this is it. I I might be dying. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's weird. The things that pop in your head. And I've had people ask me, do you remember the accident? I'm like, I remember every detail from the nurse that held my hand in the street, Mm -hmm. the, 
only thing I can't remember is I don't remember what the guy who made the tourniquet on my leg, who saved my life, I don't remember what his face looked like. And it was because I was laying on my side and he was behind me. Okay. And I was afraid to move. I was afraid to even let go of my leg because I thought it was going to fall off, actually. Yeah. And so I wish I knew who that guy was so I could thank him. When you woke up after the induced coma, which was, it was a few days, right? Five days or so, or? Almost a week. I think it was a week. Almost a week. Okay. Do you remember, like, what was the first thought that came to your mind? (laughs) So, I wake up from a coma, and I don't recommend it a coma to anyone. It's not fun. Sure. <laughs> you, know, uh, you got tubes and don't going down your throat, Vaseline smeared on your eyes so your eyes don't get dried out. And my first reaction, it was not like a pretty romance scene in a movie. It was not pretty at all. I woke up and like flailing arms and oh. trying to figure out why I couldn't kick my legs. Like, am I paralyzed? And I'm trying to rip the tubes out of my throat. So, and they're like, I think she's trying to tell us something. And um, the nurse was like, oh, honey, don't do that. Don't rip those tubes out. You got to leave those in. They're like, get her, you know, a pad and a pen. And my husband's leaning over me with tears in his eyes. And I, the first thing I write on the pad is get off my tubes because he was leaning against the tubes and I couldn't breathe. And then he was like, Oh, you still bossing me around. So she's back. She's alive. Yeah. She's back. And then I thought of my daughter and I said, please don't tell Savannah. Hmm. She was on an eighth grade trip for school and I didn't want her to worry. And I had no idea. She already knew she was already back. And then I saw my mom and I thought, okay, this must be serious if my mom flew from Texas to California and she took off work because she doesn't take off work. Okay. And I thought, this must be serious. And then that's when they told me I had the 1% chance. And I, all I heard was there's a chance. Like, there's a 1% chance. Okay, well then there's a chance. Let's find a doctor who's going to be willing to take that chance with me. Yeah. And um, I found out later that they were going to go ahead and amputate my leg while I was in a coma. And my husband was the one that said, no, you're not. Don't touch your leg. I want that to be her decision. So I want her to wake up out of a coma and have both of her legs. And then you, that'll be her decision And a lot of people ask me, well, why did you want your leg so bad? And I thought, well, it's my leg. It's my livelihood. My whole life, I was a professional dancer. And then I went from that to being in the fitness industry, modeling for vitamin labels and infomercials. And running was my drug of choice. And so I'm thinking... I won't be able to run again. Like that's how I cope through Mm -hmm. anxiety, through fear, through sadness. It was always what I did to make me feel better. And I was like, I know there are plenty of people out there that, I mean, my friend, Amy Purdy is amazing. She's a, you know, double amputee and she is an Olympian, but I just, that wasn't the vision that I had for myself. And I think it's so important for 
everybody listening to what is the vision that you want for your life? Because it's easy for people to tell you, well, you should do this or this is what it's going to be. But what do you really want? What do you want your life to look like? Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. Well, and I imagine that part of that vision for you must have guided, because there's so much detail along like the day-to-day and the different doctors and the, the tremendous pain and changing bandages. Like there's so much that you had to endure and go through, but yet, you know, you still have this, you have a chin-up bar installed in your hospital room. You've got some weights that were brought over. I mean, that's not the default reaction, I would imagine, of most people when you're in this, you know, wild set of circumstances, just trying to figure out how to keep your leg or really just, not even that, probably just survive. Yeah. Like we're, does that come from some of that early childhood trauma that you had to experience? Absolutely. So I was so grateful that I knew from a very young age what I could do to make me feel better. And at a very young age, this is why I think it's so important for kids to have an outlet. I was very fortunate because I got into sports and dancing and my default was to get through this pain of the sexual and emotional abuse Mm -hmm. from my stepfather was to do something that made me feel better, which dancing I loved because it brought me so much joy. And it was this crazy thing, like every Friday night, I don't know why my mom let me do this, but after the football game Friday night, I would go to the Dairy Queen and dance on the tabletop while the jukebox was going. (laughs) And I could see how much, and I was little, and I could see how much joy that that gave other people to see me just dancing. Not that I was like some great dancer, It brought me so much joy and I feel like that joy is contagious. And with sports, with, with track, with academics, like I just worked so hard. I, I became a bit of an overachiever and got, you know, straight A's, honor roll, most likely to succeed, Miss Greenville High School, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in dance, I won, you know, first place in competitions, um, in track, I set a record for running the fastest mile in the state of Texas, which I'm sure that's long since been broken. But the whole point of me saying this is I used that shame, that sadness, the anger, and it actually fueled me to do something positive with it. And I think that um, I knew how exercising made me feel. It made me feel happier. Um, 
And so I knew that if I could just move my body, even if I was stuck in the hospital bed, it wasn't like I was trying to get big lats or big biceps or get ripped for a competition. It was like, I just needed to do something to try to get some endorphins going, but also because it made me feel like I was going in the right direction. But as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. when I told the doctors I needed a pull-up bar installed over my hospital bed, they were like, okay, she's lost her mind. Like, we don't know if she's going to live tomorrow, but bring her a pull-up bar. Yeah. And then my friend Danny that I worked with at the gym, he did not think it was crazy at all to bring me some dumbbells to the hospital because he too know what, he knows what fitness does for your mindset. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I still use it. I mean, in my office right now, I've got my, I work out upstairs. I have a whole gym set up upstairs, but in my office right down here, I've got a roller, I've got a, a dumbbells, I've got a kettlebells because even throughout the day now, if I'm feeling sluggish or I'm feeling down, moving my body moves my mood. It energizes me. It releases endorphins that combat pain. And so many of us, when we're in any kind of pain, whether it's physical or emotional, sometimes we can freeze in fear or get stuck. I don't always feel like working out. I, I believe me. I went to the gym this morning. I did not feel like working out. I don't rely on motivation. Mm-hmm. I rely on discipline. Yeah. And I, I focus on how it's going to make me feel afterwards. And when I keep those promises to myself and I don't push snooze and I get up and I, you know, tell myself I'm going to the gym and I actually go to the gym, that's when I start to trust myself. That's when I start to build the confidence that I am capable. Yeah. And, and so it works on everything mentally, physically, um, when I'm out in nature working out, that's how I connect with God. Mm-hmm. And so, so yes, I am so grateful that I had a background in fitness and, you know, dance, because I think that having that is what got me through so many surgeries, 34 in total in the hospital. Well, the other aspect of that story, or I guess your mindset that I really resonated with was, and I don't know if it was from the book or a podcast that you either, it might've been your show. Uh, you said something to the effect that you can snack on exercise, which I feel like that is, you know, resonates with or, or links well with what you said about even just having some kettlebells and a roller, like where you're sitting right now, right? Because we, we often, you know, go to these places of, it's got to be all out or, you know, I'm, I'm going right to the marathon and, and there's things we can do throughout the day. And I love what you're saying about like mood sh- shifters or, or to boost your mood just by moving your body. Um, that if we just found what worked for us and asked that question, you know, like what puts my mind in a thriving state, no matter what, then there, there's just so much less mental pressure and mm-hmm. suffering that, a lot of it we put ourselves through. I mean, there's obviously, you know, very legit things that are going on, but a lot of it is self-induced if we can then figure out the things that to release that or pause the narrative. And it sounds like, you know, you have many of those practices. And I, I'd love to know more too, Amberly, just like, because, you know, I'm obviously tremendously fast forwarding through your your story and, and path, just given the, the time we have. But even today, like you, you still 
you, there are still uh, side effects, let's just say, from that experience, right? Like you still have pain and so forth. So I'm, I'm curious, like how are you using exercise or any kind of mental fitness practices to pause or rechannel or we'll use whatever words you would like, but just to, to, to be able to navigate and still thrive? Well, that's such a good question. And, and yeah, you know, going through that accident and the 34 surgeries and, you know, we had $2.9 million worth of medical expenses and I was trying every kind of a treatment because I was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome. And that's when I had to really dig deep to find some tools yeah. And I talk a lot about grit and grace because yes, it definitely takes grit to persevere. And I, there's not that many things that I can say I'm good at, but I'm good at grit mm. to like, but not to sometimes to where it gets me in trouble. Cause okay. I love to go. I love to work. I, I, I can push and push and push. And I was, you know, raised with like, push through pain that athlete, you know, that with my track coach and my dance instructor, like suck it up, you know, uh, restings for quitters or loser, you know? And so I had to rewire all that kind of thinking. And I had to really start to look at the grace. What grace can we give ourselves? And when I say that, I mean, yes, grit, we need to focus on that burn. Like what is our burning desire and why are we doing what we are doing and how can we develop that, that persistence and consistency. But I, it, well, I ended up in the ER like six times in one year because I was just gritting it out and going and going. And it took me being admitted in the hospital. I went septic from an an infection and a doctor telling me if you would have waited one more day, you would have died. And Mm. that really scared me. And I was so used to pushing through the pain that I wasn't listening to my body. So what I had to learn to do was really to listen to my body and learn to ask myself, what do I need? Is it more sleep? Is it more downtime? What is it? And so now, just like I schedule in my workouts and my time to snack on exercise, even if I have, you know, 15 minutes in between a Zoom session or something. I have also scheduled in times for rest and recovery. And I think if you really want to be resilient, then sometimes, especially as busy entrepreneurs, we really have to strategically plan times to refuel and reboot. Um, Because there were days when I would just be like, gosh, why do I feel lightheaded? Why do I feel mm-hmm. like I feel so good? And I'm like, oh, I didn't even schedule time for myself to like eat. And yeah. I, I just, we have to take care of our health because, yeah. you know, we've all heard the saying that health is wealth, but I've learned that we can have all the nice things. We can, we can have the family, we can, have even fancy cars or, or what we can have the business, but we can't enjoy it if we don't have our health. And mm-hmm. so when that really hit me was I had someone on my team who I, you know, I really love and respect. And I love that she said this to me. 
she could see, you know, the pain was really coming up. It like travels up through my leg and then it starts to show through my eyes. And she said, you know, your impact is only as strong as you are healthy. I was like, oh, wow. And she knows I'm not, you know, we all have to find out, like, figure out what we're motivated by, like what, Mm -hmm. why we do what we do. And I've never been like someone who's like, I got to make all this money. Mine has always been, I want to make this impact and help as many people as I can. And when she said that, I was like, oh, I'm not thinking of myself, but if I'm not taking care of myself, then I can't go help these people. That's when it hit me. Yeah. And so however you have to think about it to take care of your health, because yes, we need the grit to persevere, but boy, we got to give ourselves and others grace along Mm -hmm. the way. It's such a great perspective shift, I guess you could say, because I, I do resonate, especially with uh, in the entrepreneurial world. I was I was speaking to someone, uh, early stage investor earlier, I think last week, and we were talking about entrepreneurs in, in general and making the analogy with a link to uh, high performance athletes. And we were talking about we we're talking about Le- LeBron James in basketball and just how he invests something like a million dollars a year on his on his fitness and his recovery and so forth, which uh, just goes to show the importance, obviously, at that that level. But where the analogy broke down was the investor had said to me that the problem is that as entrepreneurs, it's it's like you're playing a ten year basketball game that never ends. Mm-hmm. So unless you like, we have to consciously schedule in that release and recovery or rest and recovery, like go all in, but then pull back and, and recharge and so forth. Or it's just, it's impossible, right? If we don't slow down, we don't slow down around the curbs. We're going to wrap ourselves around a tree. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I just go, go, go. And then I will like, Amberly, when are you going to learn the lesson that you have yeah. to rest? And so many times I'm like, but I can't rest. I got to get this done. I got to do this and this. And if you just take a break and go outside and walk a little bit, get some sunshine. And I Mm -hmm. think about this with my dog. Okay. I have this two and a half little pound. I don't even know if it qualifies as a real dog. (laughs) Okay. But it's like she, I, I look at her and I'm like, she knows what to do. Like, she gets up in the morning and she stretches. Yeah. And then so true. in the middle of the day, she goes to the door because she knows it's time for her sun bath. And she goes and lays on the porch and just soaks in some sun. Then she knows when it's time to go for a walk and go exercise. And it's like, and she eats when she's hungry. Yeah. She's got to like, figure it out. <laughs> and then I had to remind myself to get, back to the basics. And I know it's like, and this is so crazy that I had to do this, but I really last year, it's been a year ago, a little over a year ago, I kind of, I hit a wall because I was Mm -hmm. just like, when COVID happened, I got busier. Things just like, like virtually just sped up. Yeah. And I kind of, I hit a wall and I had to get back to basics of, and that's when I started getting really like religious about scheduling in my workout, my therapy session, my time with my sponsor, my, my, I hired a coach, 
or I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, and I even wear a ring that like monitors my sleep. And I look at, okay, how much deep sleep did I get? How much REM sleep? Because I used to think, I, and I think there's a culture with entrepreneurs about, I only sleep two hours a night. And it's like, good for you, but I can't focus with two hours of yeah. sleep. My body does not recover with two hours of sleep. And if I really want to mentally be sharp, if I really want to do all the things that I want, then I need to get enough sleep. And so I got, I made sleeping and resting a part of my business strategy. Oh, smart. Yeah. Sleeping out of everything. And I'm not just saying this from, uh, from me or this show, this was, we're actually working with some physicians, integrative medicine docs out in your state in Houston, Texas. Uh, a few years back, we we ran a podcast together and I was doing some mental fitness with them. And it didn't matter who we interviewed, MDs, geneticists, biohackers, nutritionists, every, every you know, fitness um, experts, every every profession you can think of in that world to, to level up your health, everything came back to sleep. Or yeah. that was the non-negotiable. I mean, you can work on all these other little aspects to to your health and, and so forth. But if you're not sleeping enough and getting quality sleep, the downstream effects of that affects everything else. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, yesterday I did this podcast interview and we actually did a swap back to back. Yeah. And I I did not get, I didn't sleep well the night before. And I had, um, you know, sometimes when I'm in a lot of pain, it's hard for me to go to sleep or stay asleep. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes when the pain is elevated, it almost like gives me brain fog. And okay, you know, I, it's like I can't think fast enough, and I can't talk yeah. fast enough, and I have the words, but they're not coming out right. It's so weird. Okay. And um, I was a disaster on this interview. I just did not, not feel like. And I, I got off there. I'm like, he's probably thinking, oh my gosh, who is that girl? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm like, oh gosh, I really wanted to meet this person. It was the first time I actually talked with him and he's amazing. And he was on fire and he talks about his morning ritual and all this. And I'm, I was just like, uh, and it's cause I need, I was like, I need sleep. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's uh well, I'm assuming you're wearing an Aura ring. So if the if the team over at Aura wants to sponsor the show, I swear the Aura ring comes up at least every five episodes. So <laughs> they're do, they're doing a good job and, and doing some good work, obviously, and, and making sure that we're aware of what's happening uh, with our sleep and so forth. I I wanted to talk a little bit about your journaling practice and just how you leverage gratitude on a daily basis. Cause it's, it's quite, I mean, that is from what I understand, it was one of the first things that you tapped into while you were still in the hospital where well, things were looking bleak and your, your mind was slipping down a slippery slope. You know, it was, it was a gratitude list that paused that and brought you back to life in, in a way. Oh yeah. Gratitude really saved me. I mean, I, well, I started journaling when I was a little girl. I went on my first vacation to Branson, Missouri. My grandparents took me and it was like, wow, I got to see 
beautiful scenery. And I mean, I'd never been out of this small town of Texas. So Branson, Missouri looked pretty good. And, um, I journaled everything because I didn't want to forget one moment of that vacation. And so that is when I started journaling every day. Um, And then I just kept that practice and I would journal every night. And, you know, I think that, and I love to read. And so I think when we read books, we, we learn about the world. And I think that when we journal, we learn about ourselves and it's a good Mm. way to, I mind dump sometimes, you know, I had an old boyfriend that read one of my journals. And so then I was afraid to ever write in a journal again. So I would write like chicken scratch. So nobody could yeah. read it except for me, but I did it because it was cathartic. Yeah. Now I don't care. Anybody can read. I'm like, you really want to know what's in my head? Good. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care anymore, whatever. But um, when I was in the hospital, I had someone bring me a little notepad and there was one night I was watching TV. I'm all by myself. I couldn't sleep because the pain was so bad. My leg was held together by these metal rods and they would have to change. They were so worried about infection because my leg was completely exposed to the road and I had compartment syndrome. And so both sides of my legs were completely exposed. And I had these metal rods going down that held my leg together. And they would have to lift my leg up. And every time they lifted it up, it was like re-breaking my leg. Yeah. And they would pull these bandages off the inside of my leg. And it was crazy. I was, I always was fascinated with biology and, you know, that's one of the reasons I loved fitness was just how the body works. And I'm like, wow, you can see all the striations of the muscle. And, and I remember that one night I would just look at the clock and I would dread when they would come to change those bandages. And so I was watching some infomercial and there was this gorgeous girl running with her, you know, the uh, family chasing her across the beach. And it hit me like, wow. I don't know if I'll ever be able to run again. I don't know if I'll wear a bikini again. Will my husband love me anymore? Will I be able to chase after my kids? Are they going to end up my leg tomorrow? Like it was just spiraling into what if, what if, into mm-hmm. what if I die? Yeah. And then I thought, wait a minute, I've got a choice here. I can either keep going down that road of despair or I can focus on what I'm grateful for. And I got that notepad and I started writing down every nurse that came in to help me, every doctor, every friend that had brought me food or flowers or just came to say hello. I was grateful that I had a view from the hospital. I couldn't go outside, but I could see the sky and it gave me hope that I'd be out there sometime. Like every small thing that I could think of that I was so grateful for. And I noticed how it shifted my thinking from all the things that I didn't have and I couldn't do into what I did have and what I could do. And I realized gratitude is alchemy. And it's something that I still use every single day because I wake up in pain, cranky, not motivated. Sometimes, I mean, I, 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 and people like, really, you seem so easygoing. And I'm like, I wake up in pain and I immediately go to a place of, oh, I'm getting so old and ah, I'm walking like an old, you know, cowboy that's a hundred years old. And, oh, 
I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. And I switch all that to, I am so grateful that I got out of bed. I'm so grateful that I'm at home and not in the hospital. I'm so grateful I can walk. I'm, I'm so grateful that I am vibrant at age 50. I'm so, and it, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to, and I say practice gratitude because I practice it. But then I also, um, not sponsored by this app or anything, but it's something that I use with some of my sober sisters is we use something called my spiritual toolkit. And we, okay. there's a, a gratitude list and you can write 10 things on a list and you can click share and you share it with your friends. So there are four of us that oh, we nice. call each other, the God squad. And we share what we're grateful for every day. And it's, you know, there's days where it's hard to write what you're grateful for. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's hard sometimes, or it feels yeah. like a pain in the butt, but it always shifts my perspective. And then it really shifts my perspective when I read what they're grateful for, because yeah. I'm like, wow, I thought I had a bad day because I had a, you know, a flat tire. She just had her last dose of chemo, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think it helps not only when we express our gratitude, but when we can share that with other people, it really shifts our perspective. Well, it's just so fascinating how full circle all of this is because, you know, as you share, you know, that example of, wow, she just finished her last round of chemo. Like I'm reading your book and thinking, wow, like I'm not lying in a hospital room right now with my leg exposed and feeling like it's being rebroken every three hours. Right. So it's, it's, it's fascinating that there's always a perspective shift available out there. If we, if we look for it and are open to, to seeing it. Right. And and then hopefully doing everything possible to return that and return that back to others when they're, when they're struggling or in need and so forth. So yeah, I just, it, you know, you, you do a great job because I have to say, like, but when we first met, I remember the feeling after we hung up and there was just this, like your energy is, is just contagious and they're so optimistic and so happy and energized. And I didn't, I knew very little about your backstory. I had a high level view. Uh, now I know a lot more having read the book, but it's, it's impressive to see and know, and also feels nice that you know, we're not alone waking up feeling like today isn't the best damn day in the world and that there's work, right? And you, and you have to work at it as well. Because from the outside, it seems like, you know, you just wake up like you're ready to go and it's the best day and there's nothing there. It's just automatic. And that seems like it's not the case. You're a human being like the rest of us. Oh, yeah. And I mean, right? some, days, some days I do wake up and I jump out of bed and I'm like, Ooh, let's do this, you know? Sure. Um, But there are a lot of days where I'm like, oh, man, I just want to push that snooze. I just want to lay in bed a little bit longer, you know, Um, or I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. And then I'm like, well, I'm grateful I'm not underwhelmed. I have so Mm. much opportunity and blessings like I am so blessed. I get to do all these things. And I think when you can even switch your word to I get to do these things. It just, you know, it just, you know, there's always a way, an opportunity to feel better. And 
because I know, you know, this, this nerve, nerve disease that I was diagnosed with, it's dubbed the suicide disease because of there not being a cure. And, mm-hmm. and I understand because it's hard to be in pain all the time, Yeah, but I have found that by working, um, mentally, physically, spiritually, all the things, yeah, it might seem like a lot of work to get up and journal and to have quiet time for yourself and to read and to, you know, for me, that's going to a recovery meeting to check in with my sponsor, to go to a therapy session if I need it. Might seem like a lot of work to go to the gym or have a kettlebells in my office, but it's a hell of a lot easier than a life of misery. And if it's I've figured out, I think we all have to figure out what works for us that empowers us, that makes us feel good. And um, I remember one time I went to this uh, this shrink. I had some postpartum depression. And I said, why? And I'd had a cesarean. I said, well, I know if I could just work out, if I could just move my body, I'd feel better. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I, she goes, do you need to work out every day? And I said, yeah, I do. It's what helps me to feel better. She goes, well, then you definitely need to be, be medicated if you rely on exercise to feel better. And um, she gave me a prescription for an antibiotic and you know, antibiotics just didn't work for me. They might work for other. I know they help a lot of people. For me, it just didn't work. I threw up every time I tried to take them. And mm-hmm. again. And you mean antidepressant? What did I say? Antibiotic? Anybi- uh, antibiotic, yeah. Well, those those usually work. Those, those work. <laughs> I was just taking some antibiotics. So that's probably why sure. I said that. Um, but yeah, I never went back to that one. Uh, shrink and I started exercising again and I felt better. So I think we have to figure out what works for us, you know? Totally, totally. Well, Amberly, I mean, I can obviously talk to you for for hours, but I want to respect your time and of course, point everyone over to uh, your website, which I'll link to in the show notes and in your book. It's loaded full of really great journaling prompts as you read through uh, parts of your story and your journey. It's obviously full of inspiration and perspective shifts in the moment that anyone can leverage. It's uh, it's a real gift that, that you put this out and you had the courage to share your story and that you continue, you know, to push forward and show up. And because of that, you know, help so many people. So Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll leave you with one question. Um, that's just, what makes you smile each day? Mm, I, well, my kids. Yeah. My husband, in case you're listening, honey. No, he really does crack me up, though. He, he really does. Um, but what has made me smile so big lately, and we were talking about this before we started recording, as I told you, I got to do my first two day, it was yes. two and a half day um, event. It was the kickoff to my mastermind. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I was so filled with joy to get to be with these women and to get to be with, you know, work with women for a whole year. And now I'm. what's making me smile is I just got the location for our, our March event. And I, I'm telling you, I was just like, 
oh my goodness, this is what I love doing. Yeah. I, mean, I love being a mom, but I love the work that I get to do. And I now get to help other people, like how they write their book, how they get on stages, how they start their own podcast, how they start to share their message. Cause yeah. I feel like we need more women out there doing that. Um, I go to so many speaking events and I'm the only female speaker. And yeah, I, right. I told my husband's like, that's great. And I'm like, no, we need more female speakers out there. And mm. I love men. Don't get me wrong. I grew up a tomboy, <laughs> but I just feel like there are so many amazing women out there that need to share their story because we need that hope and that inspiration and we need tools. And I think we all have a story to share that will help somebody get through um, a challenge, whether it's, you know, personally, professionally, financially to thrive. Um, well, I, for one, I'm happy you're out there doing your work and it seems like you've really found that sweet spot, you know, cause it, you've been doing incredible work over the, over the, over the years, but it seems like you just, even before we hit record that you landed in that spot where you're like, God, this is it. I love it. I, I, I think probably the last time I felt like that is the last time I felt like that when I, it was when I was at the height of my dance career okay. and I was getting to travel the world as a dancer. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this, I love this. This is a dream come true. That's what it felt like. Mm. And, and, you know, I think I'll just, I know I'll just say, leave, leave y'all with one more thing is I have sometimes people that say, well, I don't know what my purpose is. And I always think about what did you love doing when you were seven, eight, nine years old that brought you joy? And mm -hmm. for me, it was dancing on those tabletops at Dairy Queen where I got to make people smile. I saw them smile and I saw it was like I could see the transformation. Yeah. And now I get to do something similar but it's a transformation in a different way. And so I think that a lot of times our purpose is connected to something that we love doing as we were a kid. It just looks a little bit different. Of course. Well said. And thank you again. Until the next conversation, keep thriving out there. And um, you're going to make it onto my gratitude list. That's for sure. I you're thank you. making it on mine for <laughs> sure. Every night. I do one in the morning and one at night. Amazing. Have a beautiful day. Thank you.